I think, in, in a couple of years. Um, it may not be completely mainstream, but I think that those very tech forward of us are going to have hyper-personalized um, AI assistants. Hi, I'm Jeremy Goldman, and this is Future Proof. So we're hearing a lot about generative AI these days, seemingly out of the blue, even though it's not really out of the blue, but we'll get into that in a second. And AI is a scary subject to a lot of people, let's face it. That's why I wanted to speak to one of the people behind one of these quote-unquote scary companies, May Habib. Uh, She's the founder and CEO of Writer, an AI writing platform for teams. Uh, They actually believe themselves to be the only company to truly do generative AI in a meaningful way in the enterprise. So I wanted to talk to her to demystify this, to learn more about her technology, talk about its pros and cons, and try to imagine how generative AI might impact the world. May, welcome to Future Proof. Oh, thanks for having me, Jeremy. Exciting times. Oh, absolutely. We're talking at a really great time uh, for your industry writ large. So I wanted to start with what we always start with. uh, Who are you and what do you do on a day-to-day basis? Oh, what a good question. Um, I am May Habib. I am the CEO uh, and co-founder of a AI startup based in San Francisco. And on a day-to-day basis, I guess I would describe my job as helping large organizations adopt this real fundamental up-leveling in machine intelligence to do tasks that humans were doing before. Um, And they have gotten to be like really incredible at helping people, these machines, these models, um, at helping people with things that um, used to be very time intensive, heavy cognitive load, even laborious, um, everything from writing content to reviewing and QAing uh, support agents. Um, Machines can really, really help with that now. And so I spend most of my day talking to customers and prospective customers about their problems um, and then ways that writers software um, can help automate uh, some of those, uh, some of those problems. It's such an interesting area. I think not to talk too much about yourself because I find always like the industry interesting, but it's just to get a sense of the person behind a technology like this. I mean, when did this first get on your radar? How did you get excited about the possibilities of something like this? Yeah. So my previous company was um, in the localization space. And a lot of the explosion um, in generative tech um, actually has its roots in machine learning engineers uh, trying to solve machine translation problems. And you may be hearing this word transformers um, if you are looking at the space of large language models or, or generative tech. And what a what a one um, of my favorite action figures growing oh. up, actually. <laughs> You're hilarious. Um, Sorry, bad trans- joke. It's funny. Um, you know, a, a transformer is this gigantic, deep neural network, um, if you know that term from machine learning, which works really, really well on language problems. So if you're hearing GPT-3, GPT-J, chat GPT, Palm, Bloom, any of these words in, in the tech press, these are all transformers. And in our previous company, we started to see, because we were working in the world of early transformers, we started to see just the explosion of capability 
that was going to come as a result of not needing to process text sequentially. So let me give you, let, let me try to like help you visualize it. So if you are working on a machine translation model and um, I'm trying to build something that can automatically take a French sentence and an English sentence in the old days, like IE circa like 2015, 16, 17, the way you would like work on that problem, even like a little bit before is um, you would get a bunch of aligned data. So here's an English sentence and then here's a French sentence. And then your neural network is learning that I've seen like enough aligned sentences that now I know that blanc means white, for example. And the explosion that transformers brought about is I actually no longer need to process a sentence sequentially. There is I, every word is a vector. Uh, and so what that does is it makes models able to be trained faster. It makes more data. Basically, more data improves the model dramatically because it doesn't have to be structured. It doesn't have to be labeled. And the long form text problems become easier because I'm not like wasting all of this compute trying to like analyze the sentence and go back to the beginning of the word and like do things sequentially. So that is like at a very non-technical level what, what happened that enabled all of this. And we saw that in translation. Uh, and so then we started writer um, at the beginning of 2020 to basically use transformers to help people write better. And essentially what we did was we said we applied the same things we knew from the translation world. But instead of doing French to English, we were doing bad English to good English. And what's happened in, you know, the last three years is the generative capabilities of these models have improved so dramatically. And, you know, a lot of that is to do with silicon and the ability to train the models at a lower cost and like all of the like real fundamental things so, um, uh, that have that we've been working on. I'm sorry to cut you off. I was actually curious. One thing that's interesting to me is because I kind of get why it's become a little bit easier to work on a solution like yours. But then there's always the flip side of it, which is that presumably like you're solving a problem. Otherwise, you don't find that uh, market fit. I mean, why are companies flocking to solutions like yours? And then the because I, 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 I think we understand now why we're hearing more about the technologies because it's moved forward in a meaningful way. But what's the business problem, the societal problem that it's solving? Uh, really good question. You know, I think that folks in large organizations are still really trying to figure out how they operationalize and how they use this technology in their day to day because the, the results are staggeringly like mimicking human intelligence, right? But they still have some real fundamental problems, right? Um, they make up facts and, and the very latest chat GPT makes up facts like way less than um, previous generations, um, but it still happens. And, you know, if you are trying to use a large language model um, to, you know, automatically write up a patient diagnosis based on some statistics that just came out of a lab, then there is no margin for error. And so, you know, what a lot of folks are trying to figure out now is how do you um, how do you use the the benefits of large language models and suppress the things that don't make them usable? And, you know, we um, that intersection is where our company plays. But it is still very, very early days. And, you know, as technologists kind of looking at the future, this is when we're in the most excited, right, is when um, you are uh, in a playground of early ideas and the reality hasn't really hit yet of, you know, A, the, the consequences to society that could be negative, right? Like we can never do take home tests again. That's it. 
that like that part of homework is over. <laughs> you can't send a kid home with an assignment and, you know, credibly believe that they didn't get any help online. So it is uh, it's a new world. And then uh, true. And in fairness, I remember getting even homework where you were not supposed to do it with the calculator. But how right. could they prove that you used a calculator or not? Um, I proved it by doing poorly in math. Uh, You're hilarious. So then they knew that I did. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't definitely didn't cheat. But it's interesting because like you're talking obviously about like the experimentation period and figuring out what works and what doesn't. I actually think that, you know, sometimes there are these clickbait stories about something that didn't go right. And that's good because it means that we're trying to figure out what are the applications and what where what's not ready for prime time, basically. Mm -hmm. So for your customers, what are what are they actually doing? Like what what are the problems they're trying to solve? The the kind of applications where, you know, let's say a technology like yours is ready for prime time right now? Yeah. Um, my favorite application right now is feeding and training a large language model with your own data as a marketing team and your own uh, brand guidelines um, as a company and really seeing um, the, the creativity that feels like you uh, coming back on the screen. And, you know, I'll never forget, it was a couple of months ago, we had an amazing e-commerce uh, e customer um, where, you know, some of the professional writers, this, the strategy and AI people were very excited about, um, you know, introducing writer. Um, but, you know, some of the writers were just a little bit skeptical. And one of the writers saw output from uh, from our model that basically put asterisks around the word actually, just like she does. Right. And it was like, oh, OK, I get it. Right. Like this is not like some scary robot. This is me. Actually, this is me remixed. And, you know, when you've got this um, incredible depth of, uh, of a data set that you've already built because like you've been advertising for 10 years or you've been working on your blog for a decade or you've, you've done, you know, this newsletter or sets of newsletters for five years, like that's a lot of great training data for a model. And, you know, what's great about these models is you can turn up the creativity heat. So it's not like going to regurgitate things that you've already already said. Uh, so, you know, those are real applications um, with literally millions of dollars of ROI. They're freeing people up to do more creative work. Like, you know, we always say AI is not replacing people, it's replacing tasks. And so you become this kind of maestro, one of our customers used that word yesterday, right? Um, sort of conducting Right. Um, a, a slew of um, uh, of AI programs that are doing the things that, you you know, are predictable and you can describe that task, even if they are creative and, 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 and there's a high cognitive load. If you can break it down into steps, machine is going to be able to do it. So I think that you talked about so many different really interesting things there to I'm like, where do where do you go at next after that? Uh, but I think that, you know, to think about the enterprise, you know, the enterprise is often where a lot of uh, things st uh, start, you know, for obvious reasons. And then there wind up being a lot of different consumer uses, like we're just joking about the the homework example. So I'm wondering how you think that this type of technology is going to be able to change the consumer landscape. Like how will generative AI change the world that consumers live in on a daily basis? Mm, yeah, really good question. Um, I think... 
and it's not going to take that long. I think in in um, in a couple of years, it may not be completely mainstream, um, but I think that those very tech forward of us are going to have hyper personalized AI assistants. Like I actually think in five years, not even I'm going to be able to be in the shower. Remember that you know I didn't send so and so an email. Um, and be able to have my own personal assistant actually find that email, respond as me. And, you know, we already have the generative text capabilities, right? It's in, in kind of stitching all of these things together. I think um, a lot of the consumer innovation is is going to happen. And I actually think in this world, Jeremy, like the consumer innovation happens before the enterprise innovation happens, because like there are a lot of processes and people and regulations, right? We haven't even touched like the responsible AI or ethical AI part of all of this um, that I actually think are going to slow down larger organizations. And so, you know, I like that we can come in um, in a less risky part of the business and show a ton of value and really then talk about all the different places where AI can help help a company. Uh, and, it, you know, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel threatening. You know, people are seeing the benefits and that all those people still have jobs. Right. And they have changed um, uh, in terms of what they are doing day to day, maybe a little bit. But, um, you know, overall, it's been a positive impact on people's lives. Okay, so we have to talk about the jobs thing just for a second, because, you know, you open the door counselor, as they say on some of my favorite shows. Uh, can generative AI replace humans or take jobs from them in the short term? And I'll just say, I think that generally with a lot of the technologies that we cover, it seems that people will notice some potential negatives and not look at the positives that are going to counteract those negatives, because those are harder to anticipate or for, or to foresee. So I think that sometimes people focus on, you know, a negative such as there will be some jobs that will be lost, but they're not necessarily looking at the jobs that will be gained. But that's just my perspective. Tell me, tell me I'm wrong. You know, I can't tell you if you're right or wrong. I can just tell you what we're seeing at 150 enterprise customers. Not one person has lost their job, right? And this is like real fundamental 5, 10x increases in, in productivity that are happening. You know, especially in creative work and content, which is, you know, where uh, most of our use cases are um, today, you know, not all in marketing, but content, you know, across the org, L&D teams, um, customer support and success teams, HR even, these are hard to find people. And so, you know, when you make them more productive, you put them on the next thing. Uh, and, you know, we're seeing customers say, look, we we are now thinking backwards from the automation. Like if I stand up a new channel, you know, how much data am I going to need before I can automate this with Writer? Um, so that is that's a fun place to be. And I think companies are just going to be able to do a lot more with folks. And, you know, I think it probably means in five years, like more four day week, work weeks, right? Like people getting the same amount done um, in less time. Um, it doesn't mean they're going to lose their their jobs. And so it, it really is just a reformulation of your day of your calendar. And I, I completely understand like um, the, some of the initial fear of you know, if I've spent my whole week to date working on this content and now we're building a model that can, you know, get us 80 percent of the way there and those five days go down to one, you know, like I really need to trust that I'm going to find something to do that is meaningful to the business in those next four days. And we had a customer tell us that, you know, a few weeks into their writer adoption um, journey, you know, for com reasons completely unrelated, um, they let a copywriter go. And then those other copywriters needed, you know, another month of reassurance before they were comfortable, like, you know, 
getting on to writer and, and trying it out. And so, you know, there's definitely there's definitely that initial fear and, and hesitation, but we've literally never seen writer replace people. And then just to kind of stay on the negative uh, side of things for a second, um, you know, we're just talking about replacing or taking jobs. What are some of the other dangers that you can see that we might have to watch out for as a society when it comes to generative AI? I know that you're wise enough to know that nothing is perfect and that you can't launch something that's going to create a utopia. So there are some potential pitfalls that I imagine that you're thinking about. Yeah, totally. The thing that I am um, you know, most worried about is bias. You know, you ask one of the imagery generative AI tools to get you a picture of a doctor and, you know, it's a white man in their 40s. Um, you know, there is a... Um, it's a picture of me. There is a huge... That's what you're thinking. Yeah, it's, it's Jeremy. <laughs> Dr. Goldman. Um, there is an incredible community of um, AI researchers really dedicated to safety of these models. And I think, you know, at all of the large tech companies, you know, they're, they're, the intentions are really good. But there is just no question that we have been a biased society and that is reflected in the training data. And so, you know, unless you are really taking a model through its paces and 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 suppressing things, then you're likely to have outputs that can, you know, at least be hijacked, if not like, you know, those are the first generations that come out of the model. You know, this is why the, the way that we've addressed that problem is by putting LLMs and NLP together. Uh, so, you know, you've got the machine learning magic where in the transformer world, um, you don't always know where something came from because the data sets are just so big, like where a result came from. Um, but then you have the NLP world um, and there's machine learning in there, too, where, you know, you can use human guidance um, to really uh, shape the output of the models before a user sees it. Um, and so I think we're going to see a lot more in the headlines about that kind of use. And I'll give you a small example on kind of the, the legal and responsible side. Um, back to our example of the doctor that, you know, has a, a write-up now based on lab results, right, that was generated by a AI product. That doctor gets sued for whatever reason is an on, and is on the stand, right? And like every word of that brief is now being dissected who is responsible? And so there's a whole area of uh, emerging law around AI practice and um, using AI responsibly. And I think that's going to be just a lot more of what we hear about in 23 and people trying to get ahead of, um, you know, ahead of this um, curve, folks like IEEE and the uh, American Computing, I'm trying to remember what the acronym stands for. Uh, but there, there are a lot of folks that are um, now trying to get their hands around it and, and be able to advise on ACM uh, on how to use these algorithms responsibly. That's a fair point. And I think that speaking about uh, ethics is always interesting because it's uh, there's like the what should you do from an ethical perspective versus what do you have to do in order to be compliant with the law? So. Do you think that with respect to generative AI, we need uh, some type of regulations in order to just ensure that this ecosystem remains thriving and doesn't become a cesspool of people doing very awful things that uh, so that people no longer trust the technology? Because it always seems that they're humans, if left to our own devices, no pun intended, will sometimes do things where we will take a great technology and we will have it go off the rails if we don't have the proper rules and regulations in place. I mean, and to some extent, you could argue that that might have happened with crypto in 2022, that had there been better regulations in place, that might still be viewed by more people as like a viable 
technology and future currency, but people are like a little bit more scared because it wasn't reined in and because regulators weren't paying enough attention to it. And could the same thing happen to generative AI if regulators don't actually focus on it? Yeah, look, I'm I'm a um, I'm a low regulation person, but I think generative tech is actually much closer to self-driving car algorithms um, than it is uh, in to, you know, like social media uh, in terms of the need for for oversight. And, you know, I think there's a growing recognition that we just can't be as fast and, and loose. And uh, Stuart Mayer at Fenwick um, uh, is kind of a, a, a an emerging um, legal thinker on this space. And he said something that I love. It was a he said, you can say you hate regulation, but when this technology is going to touch people so viscerally, right, do you want your regulation to come in the form of a lawsuit via jury? Or do you want, you know, a set of regulations that you may not agree with 100 percent, but like at least like a broad swath of experts help make them. And, you know, at least then, you know, you know what to do, right, versus sort of being in this gray area and ending up in a courtroom where, it's people from all walks of life who have, you know, your case in their hands. So, you know, I think that's a that's a good way of thinking about it. And the regulations aren't really moving as fast as people want to adopt. And so, you know, we're in a position where, you know, we're having to advise um, companies on where we think this goes, you know, legally in terms of where they want to be using um, the AI to supplement human decision making. Right. And then who becomes liable if, if anything goes wrong. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a, an amazing uh, space to be in right now because it's so dynamic, literally day to day. I think about, no, and well said, I think sometimes about regulations where it's kind of like somewhat reasonable parents where you could break their rules every now and again and the, you know, sky won't fall. But generally speaking, you know, like you will be better off for having followed them for the most part. You know, sometimes you do need a little bit of that just to build a thriving ecosystem that then has the trust of the consumers, you know? So I think that's really well said with um, the way you put it. And uh, another thing, you know, you mentioned social media before. I'm kind of curious of generative AI, how much of it might be like social media where 10 years later, we're not really happy with the impact it has on our young people and other aspects of society. I think it's very clear to me that there will be plenty of good things that come out of it. But you know, like we were talking about the dangers before, how optimistic are you? And I know you're in this space, so you kind of, to some extent, might have to be optimistic if you want to be, you know, a player building the future here. But do you think that that comparison to social media, how different would you say generative AI is in that comparison? Yeah, it's such a good question. You know, you think about like something as seemingly innocuous at the surface as infinite scroll, right, for like what it's done. Um, for to our brains, to our children, um, and how some of the more thoughtful platforms now, right, like have that as a switch uh, in terms of being able to like go back to needing to tap through a page when you're looking at a feed so that we can, you know, force ourselves to be uh, more intentional with our social media time. You know, I, I wonder what is the infinite scroll of this space right now? And, you know, what is it that, you know, we might be jumping into totally headfirst that we're going to, um, that we're going to regret later. Um, and the index of information that is reliably verified that we have been kind of trained on that, that we have gotten to, this is what is at risk right now. I think the UIs and what we condition people to 
um, start doing when there is an autocomplete in front of them to be accepted. That I think is going to have the most meaningful social change. And, you know, all of us, you know, a billion users are seeing it in Gmail, right, in terms of like the autocomplete one word, two words, three words at a time. But like even Google, right, has had this technology for a long time, right, Um, just as long as uh, the open source players has not gone beyond, right, trying to get people to accept more than one or two words in advance of, of what they were typing. And, you know, that's intentional, Right. So it's going to be interesting to see if some of those big players who have made some of those social or safety decisions already feel the need to catch up and uh, and what happens. So I don't know, Jeremy, but I know it's the, the dangers are definitely there. And I just want to leave on something, you know, tied to you guys specifically, because I feel like uh, it'd be remiss if I didn't bring it back to writer. Uh, you know, we talk about a solution like yours and obviously, like I've worked with a lot of uh, enterprises, how easy or difficult is it to just plug a generative AI solution into an enterprise? Because there's kind of like the technology side of things, but then there's the human side. And I'm sure there's got to be some change management involved in a in a process like that. No? Absolutely. I mean, the, the most important thing I think that we have learned from the customers who have just like really adopted this and loved it really has been that um, it has felt like an acceleration of what they're doing already. It's not this like alien foreign thing. And so training on their own data and talking about the solution in a way where um, the the model is fitting, you know, the square peg and you're not like trying to get them to uh, adopt something that's that's bigger than what they need right now. That has been the um, that feels like the winning formula. Yeah, well said. Um, thanks for taking a few Difficult questions along the way, uh, but uh, yeah, no, I, I, it, it's like you said, it's a, it's a very promising technology, but it is going to change a lot, especially as it starts to get adopted by more and more uh, consumers and more companies. So, uh, May, this was fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks again to me for making the time. I think that this is uh, honestly one of those technologies uh, to watch. I think it could be, you know, it's had a bit of a breakout year in 2022, but expect even more uh, on this front in 2023. If you like what you just heard and this is your first time here, be sure to subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Stitcher, the choice is yours. And if you're a longtime listener, please remember to rate and review Future Proof as that's the number one way we get the show in front of people just like you. Got a burning question you want covered on a future episode go to futureproofshow.com to submit special thanks this week to producer jason stack once again i'm jeremy goldman and you've been listening to future proof future proof